Hi there. Thank you for connecting with me and subscribing to the Living the Sky Life podcast. I'm a very tired and oftentimes overwhelmed autism warrior mom who has navigated the ups and downs of this puzzling disorder for 16 years and counting. My hope when creating this podcast was that it would serve as a vessel for connecting families with special needs children so we may share experiences and resources. But even more importantly, I want to create a community of support for one another through the tough times, which we know there can be many, and to celebrate the achievement of milestones, big and small, of our amazing kids. So thanks again for joining me on this journey and for tuning in for this episode of Living the Sky Life. I'm really excited for today's guest. I'm a regular follower of her blog, her Instagram page, and more than anything, her gorgeous photography of her children and her family. Uh, Eileen Lamb is the author of All Across the Spectrum and founder of The Autism Cafe, which many of you may know um, of her. That is the name of her Instagram page and her blog. Uh, Eileen is a writer and a photographer who was born in France, and she is currently now living in Austin, Texas with her husband and two sons, Charlie, who's age six, and Jude, who is age four. On her blog, she shares the ups and downs of raising a severely autistic child while being on the autism spectrum herself. In her free time, Eileen enjoys daydreaming, wine, and road trips. Sounds pretty great to me. So please welcome Eileen Lamb. So today's guest on the podcast is Eileen Lamb. She has an Instagram page called Autism Cafe and also a blog. Um, I have followed her for quite some time. And what actually attracted me to your social media pages was the photography. You are a phenomenal photographer. Um, and the pictures of your boys are absolutely stunning. So um, I was so anxious to talk to you and to meet you. So thank you for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Um, well, there's a lot to get into. You have a very unique story. Um, for a little bit of background, um, I know that you've shared on some of the blogs and in some other um, avenues that you actually are on the spectrum yourself and you have um, your son, Charlie, that's on the spectrum. So I wanted to talk a little bit about Charlie first, um, a little bit about his diagnosis story. Um, just his development, if you recognize delays or how you learned that he was on the spectrum. Yeah, so, you know, at first there wasn't anything that just was obvious with, uh, with Charlie. He, uh, he walked around 10 months. Uh, he had a, a few words until he was 15 months. Um, and then by 18 months, he started losing all of his words. And that was the first time we thought that something might be going on because he stopped talking altogether. So that was very sudden and kind of scary to, to witness. And um, he had never been good at interacting with other children, which, you know, maybe he was shy, we thought. But uh, everything really got uh, worse around 18 months. He started only playing the same way with his cars, lining them up all day. And if someone, you know, touched his car and put it out of the line, it would mm -hmm. be like a one hour meltdown. And we thought, well, you know, terrible too soon, but that's <laughs> a extreme. So we got the help from ECI, Early Childhood Intervention, mm -hmm. who uh, 
they did the speech evaluation, OT and all of that, and he qualified for everything. Um, but after a month or so of, you know, doing therapy with ECIs, they told us um, it's out of our league at this point and uh, you should uh, look into getting him an autism diagnosis so he can receive a ABA therapy. So they were the first um, to recommend that you look into autism for him? Yeah, they had us do the M-chat uh -huh. test. Yeah, with a follow-up question because there are you know, two ways to do it, a very simple yes or no question. And then, you know, it goes into detail. So they did it for us. And uh, Charlie scored 18 out of 20. And I think anything above three is like a risk for autism and you should talk you know, to someone uh, professional about it. So that was, uh, that was a, big, uh, a big red flag. I think the only thing you could do from the M-chat was walking. Everything else, like pointing to a plane in the sky or, you know, things that as a first-time mom, I didn't even know were important. Um, you couldn't do any of that. Yeah, it, it's always frustrating too, to um, the only way that you know is to either observe other parents with kids similar ages as yours or to read all of the books and you start looking through all of these milestones, or at least I did, that they were supposed to be hitting at certain points. Um, you know, my son was my first too. And until I observed those things and other people, I had no idea either that he was that delayed. I just thought, you know, he'll get to it when he gets to it in his own time. Um, I didn't think there was much to panic about at first. <laughs> and then you just start seeing all the things pile up that they, that they aren't doing. It's kind of scary. No, it is. I was a part of a group where um, the moms all had babies born around the same time as Charlie. So they were all like two months apart. Um, and yeah, everyone could do things that Charlie couldn't do. And, you know, I try not to compare, but after a while, you really start to yeah, compare and you start worrying about these things. So when you um, actually got the diagnosis, was that when you kind of discovered that you were on the spectrum as well? Or did you know about your diagnosis years ago? No, I didn't know until Charlie was diagnosed. I grew up in France. So you can hear my accent. <laughs> it's beautiful. <laughs> and, you know, France is really, really behind when it comes to autism, even to this day. So unless like you're very, very severely autistic on, you know, the severe side of the spectrum, you're most likely not going to get diagnosed. But I've always felt different and it never crossed my mind and no one ever mentioned that that could be due to autism. And then Charlie was diagnosed and I started researching a lot about autism and especially high functioning autism. And I was like, wow, this is me. That is so crazy. But, you know, I didn't want to like diagnose myself through some kind of internet test. So uh -huh. I went through a therapeutic assessment. So that's like, hours and hours of testing and uh, with a, a professional and at the end of it they confirmed that yes I was indeed on the spectrum and that was kind of mind-blowing. Did it alter the way that you um, parent or empathize with Charlie? Did you do you guys connect in, in a way that's a little bit different than maybe your husband does with him? Yeah, for certain things, I think I have a lot more patience and understanding with Charlie, for instance, with noise and crowd, crowds, um, because these things are so hard for me, you know, loud noises, or even not 
that loud, just certain noise. And, you know, Charlie and I will sometimes cover our ears at the exact same time. And everyone is like, what is going on? (laughs) You know, Um, so for that, for sure. But, you know, since Charlie and I are on different ends of the spectrum, I can't really relate to his struggles with communication, mm-hmm. not to the same level because Charlie is mostly nonverbal. And even though I have troubles with communication, I mean, I'm still able to express myself verbally. I've always been verbal. I didn't have a language delay as a kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I can relate and yeah, but not for everything. Now, when you um, learned of your diagnosis and, and um, obviously you had those conversations with your husband about Charlie and then about yourself, did it, did it um, kind of bring to light maybe some communication barriers that, that you had or, or maybe you didn't have with your husband? I, I just did a, a podcast that'll air here soon with um, a husband and wife. The husband has um, Asperger's and the wife is neurotypical and they talk a lot about how communication in a marriage with an Aspie and a neurotypical spouse is a little bit different than how two neurotypical um, spouses would communicate. Maybe the, the, the person on the Aspie side is a little more blunt and doesn't really understand some of the things that they say and how it's interpreted by their neurotypical partner. Do you guys have any communication gaps or barriers like that in your relationship? Yeah, definitely we do. And for similar reasons, you mentioned that sometimes I'm just going to, you know, say what I think without really thinking about the consequences of my words. You know, I'm like, well, it's the truth. So I'm just going to say it. <laughs> very black just, and white yeah. kind of thinking. Um, so, you know, we go to a therapy together with the, the specialist uh, who diagnosed me. So she's very familiar with me and my autism. So she's also able to explain to my husband, you know, why am I react in certain ways that don't make sense to him. And then she's able to explain to me why, you know, my husband might be hurt um, when I say things a certain way. So it's very useful to have someone help us navigate this uh, communication issues. Um, Yeah. That's so smart. I love that you guys proactively do that. I mean, my husband and I both, are, are very commun- we communicate about pretty much everything, but it is always nice to have a third party help with just evaluating how you interpret situations with your son and just how you feel, because I think even that's stressful um, for two neurotypical parents, let alone someone who processes a little bit differently. Maybe some of the meltdowns that Charlie has, I imagine, are, are really hard to handle. Um, my son's nonverbal too, and it's it's, it's a struggle sometimes to really understand what it is that they want and why they're so upset and it breaks your heart that you just can't, can't fix it and you can't, you know, find those things for them. Yeah. So if Charlie is, you said, mostly nonverbal today um, with his communication, what, how does he communicate best to you about the things that he needs or wants from you? So he's been using Proloquo to go, which is uh, an app. Uh-huh. It's kind of like PEX, but digital, digital PEX, I would say. Um, and he's good at it. He can, uh, but it's very basic. So he can say, I want plus item. And that's basically it. So it's, you know, very basic needs. Like he can tell us if he's hurting, 
what he's feeling. He can tell us what he likes. You know, it's just, I want. He can express needs with his iPad. He can also say uh, a few words, um, like tickle me, which is funny. You know, he has like 10 words and <laughs> of them. Um, he, he uses it when he wants attention from people. Like he doesn't necessarily want tickles in the moment. It's kind of cute. Um, and he can say want cookies. Um, but Aww. so very cute, but very basic. So yeah, as you said, there are so many moments that are frustrating for him and for us too, because we can't make it better, you know? And as a mom, you want to help your children, your child. And it's always heartbreaking when we try everything to understand why Charlie is, you know, crying and we can figure it out. It's hard. And, and I know that you have um, another son, Jude. He's three. Is that right? Four now. Oh, he's four now. Okay. There's a couple year age difference between Charlie and Jude. Yeah. How does Jude process all of this stuff with his older brother? Does he understand uh, about autism a little bit being these four? I mean, I know that's quite young. Um, how does he play with Charlie or do they, how do they interact? I guess. You know, he actually, he understands a lot. Like, he knows Charlie is different for sure. Like, mm -hmm. he'll tell us, well, Charlie doesn't want to play with me. It's because he has autism. Like, even though he doesn't know what autism really is, he knows that that's why Charlie does things differently. And, um, yeah, he's like a big brother to Charlie. He will help him with, you know, using the bathroom. He will fill him with a fork if Charlie is, you know, being too messy or he's using his hands to eat. Jude will be like, okay, wait, Charlie. And then he'll Charlie with a fork. And um, one day we, uh, we were at school, at Jude's school. I was picking him up and I had to bring Charlie inside. And Charlie started steaming very loudly and jumping and all the little kids in Jude's room just like, turned to us and someone told Jude oh your brother is so weird and then Jude said no he's not weird he has autism and that was just the sweetest thing ever that he stood up for Charlie like that um, so I definitely think that he understands a lot more than uh, I often give him credit for he gets it does he at that age understand sometimes that Charlie needs a little bit more of your time and your attention, like if he is stimming and you guys are in public somewhere or and you need to address it and, and kind of calm Charlie down, can, can you tell yet? Does Jude kind of get a little upset that everything is kind of revolving around Charlie at certain times or um, yeah. does that not really impact him? You know, he struggles with this. I think that's one of the hardest thing actually because Charlie gets so much more attention. Mm -hmm. um, like even when therapists are at our house, you know, they give Charlie one-on-one -on -one attention and you know, the way we do ABA, it's like play-based a lot. So in Jude's mind, the therapist is here to play with Charlie one-on-one -on -one for hours and he doesn't get that. So it's, uh, it's hard on him sometimes to see how much more attention and one-on-one -on -one Charlie gets. Um, sometimes he gets it, but I think, yeah, that's probably the hardest part of the, of the situation for Jude is, uh, seeing how much more attention Charlie gets. So we try to, you know, spend time one-on-one -on -one with Jude um, as often as we can. But to be honest, you know, Charlie still gets more attention than Jude. 
Yeah. Do you have to be during his ABA sessions? Do you have to be in the room and, and kind of be a part of that? Or, or would they prefer that you not be in the room? Like that's an opportunity maybe to take Jude outside or do something with him. Um, yeah, we, we can do that. When it's at home, we have to, to be here for gotcha. reason. Um, but when it's at Charlie's at the center, um, you know, totally free to, uh, to leave. So I don't have to stay there from 10 to <laughs> every day. Yeah. Um, yes but yeah Jude goes to school so well that's nice that you get a little bit of a break hopefully hopefully they have their programs on the same day so you get a little bit of a an hour to yourself at least that's hard too trying to find time to carve out for yourself I know it is hard (laughs) you spoke in um one of your recent blog posts about autism awareness and um, the importance of showing the full spectrum of the spectrum. And that resonated so much with me, um, as I've mentioned so many times before on the podcast and in social media that my son Skylar is 16 and is still nonverbal, still not toilet trained, still there's a lot of things. He, I don't even know what they call everything anymore. I've heard people say level three, level one, that was never a part of the spectrum um, when he was first diagnosed, we just say that he's severe on the severe end of the spectrum. Um, why is that, you know, so important to you to make sure that that message gets out there about the full spectrum? Well, first of all, I leave both sides, like literally every day, you know, me being level one, which is high functioning and then Charlie level three. But, uh, I've really noticed a trend on social media where autism is portrayed as a gift or a superpower and you hear about you know the kid who became a doctor and it's just really gets gets to me because it doesn't show the full spectrum and for some people you know they will never be able to communicate you know like no matter how much therapy or how much support they get because they are severe and you know there are a lot of people who see autism only as a as a gift and not a disability and i think it's uh it's wrong because of all these other people for whom autism will never be a gift mm-hmm. um, they can't advocate for themselves online you know like these uh, other people are doing because well they don't have a way to communicate uh, their thoughts so um i think it's important for parents like us to uh to advocate for our children who are on the severe side of the spectrum and to show people that no autism is not always a gift of course for some people it is you know um, i don't see my autism as a gift and i don't think charlie sees his autism as a gift either you know mm-hmm. he can tell me <laughs> yeah i wouldn't say that it was a gift you know it's hard because even if we as parents use words like burden or you know, we feel, I feel like person, I can, I guess I can just speak for myself, but I feel like if I say things like that, that I'm almost shamed by social media or wherever I make that comment. And then people say, gosh, you know, you're disappointed in your child. You don't love your child. You're complaining. It's not that at all. It's just, I mean, anyone with a neurotypical child that maybe has an addiction or has something else, I mean, they're allowed to be frustrated and say that it's not a blessing and that there are issues. Um, but we, for some reason, are not allowed to, to say we're overwhelmed, we're frustrated, 
we are angry um, at the life, you know, we're grieving the life of a child that isn't going to be the way that we planned it to be. And I don't think it's fair that, you know, we're judged to have a bad day. (laughs) We're all entitled to a bad day. Well, it's not fair. It's people don't understand that, you know, you can love your child and still feel, you know, feel sad about the diagnosis, but still love your child. Um, They think it's either one way or the other. If you feel sad about the diagnosis, you don't love your child, but that's Mm -hmm. not how it is at all. Like there is nuance um, in these feelings. And I mean, I don't think anyone would live the life we live, like raising a severely autistic child. Like, I mean, they would feel overwhelmed too. No one could do it without feeling totally happy every day. Oh, this is awesome. This is exactly what I wanted for my my son, not being able to communicate. It, it doesn't make any sense to me. And uh, I think it's a shame that so many parents are being shamed online um, for feeling this way because it makes people feel alone, first of all, other parents, because we don't talk about it, because we're afraid, you know, we're going to get judged for it. And then other parents feel like maybe they're the only one feeling this way. Um, so it makes them feel alone. And it's just like a bad um, psych- cycle that we need to break by talking about um, these emotions, even if they're negative sometimes. Mm-hmm. Well, and I guess on that note too, um, again, just kind of referencing your blogs, um, you mentioned recently a situation that came up um, with CPS. And um, if if you wouldn't mind, I would love for you to share that because it kind of goes along with what we're talking about as far as parent shaming or um, just kind of people misinterpreting situations. Uh, And I, I just think it's really important that people get the full story and the bigger message about childproofing and all the other things that we take for granted. Uh, if you don't have a special needs child that you have to do beyond age two, um, you know, for your children. So would you mind talking about that a little bit? Yes. Yeah, so what happened is that a few months ago, Charlie uh, got uh, melatonin gummies from the, the medicine cabinet. You know, he got on a chair, climbed on the counter, opened the thing, and uh, swallowed uh, some melatonin gummies. So I called poison control right away and he was totally fine. But I told his uh, ABA therapy center because you know I, I wanted help so we could uh, hopefully find a way to teach Charlie that certain things can be eaten. Um, I don't know how they could have helped, but that's kind of what they do, you know. They help us find ways around issues we have with Charlie. And we've been with this center for five years now. So I really trusted them. You know, I had no doubt um, they would help me with this issue. So I told them about it and that was it. And then a few weeks later, Charlie had to doctorate. You know, they're on the counter. I never thought to myself that I needed to lock the, the doctorates away or baby proof them. And so that was the second incident. And they decided to uh, call a CPS on us, Child Protected Services. And that was just so incredibly hard emotionally for me and my husband, for our family, you know, to have someone investigate your life like that. You know, they saw right away that we were good parents. I mean, our house is so child proof. Uh-huh. And- 
the you know when the incident happened with the melatonin gummies, we got a lock right away. Um, I order a lock same day, so Charlie wouldn't get in there, you know. And then we it didn't work, so we kept it closed, like with duct tape, uh, you know, very strong duct duct tape, and then got a new lock. Finally, we have something that is uh, completely safe. Um, so I feel like we had reacted to the situation the right way, you know, call poison control, make sure Charlie's okay, and then, you know, get new locks. So that was it, you know, mistakes happen. When you have a child, like you said, who's, well, Charlie was, yeah, six and a half at the time. We didn't expect him to get into that. You know, there are things that you never think that you will have to baby-proof. You know, recently I've found out that I need to lock away the soap too or Charlie will just empty the bottles and eat the soap. You know, that's not something you think to yourself, oh, should mm -hmm. I need to maybe prove this? But in any case, so CPS came and invest investigated us and you know, they saw that we were doing a great job and they closed the case um, pretty much immediately. But that was just so hard to have people, the ABS center that we trusted so much, you know, turn on us, which felt like, you know, turn on us instead of, helping us find a way to help Charlie, you know, to help Charlie understand that certain things can be eaten. So, yeah. And, and you talked to them, right? And you told them it was melatonin gummies and it was a dog treat. I mean, most dog treats are made of all, you know, human food anyway, chicken and rice and whatever, or peanut butter. I, I don't understand why they felt the need to, to take it that far. He didn't yeah. get injured. He didn't, you know, you guys, there were no bruises on him. There was nothing. That's usually what CPS is called for. Um, and maybe if you hadn't called poison control, they would have said, hey, did you call poison control? You might want to do that. But to intervene in that way, I just, I, I would have been beside myself like you. That is just, that's tough. Yeah, it felt like a betrayal. They said that they did it because they are mandated reporters. But, you know, that still shouldn't have happened. So after that, you know, we had a big discussion with them and, you know, they apologized and it was really useful for them. I think it's too bad that the situation had to happen, but now they have a new protocol. So if something like this happened, they are going to uh, talk to the family first, you know, have like a serious sit down and which is what they should have done first before calling CPS on us, you know, talk to us, yeah. tell us, okay, this is serious, um, you know, we want to help you. Is there any way we can help? If this doesn't get resolved or happen again, then we will have to call Child Protective Services. But they didn't do it. Right. Thankfully, they will now. And uh, I'm just uh, happy that, you know, some good has come out of this and hopefully this won't happen to uh, other families. Yeah, for sure. And I appreciate you sharing that story, have they, um, at the ABA center, have they integrated some programming for him about things that are not edible and things that are edible and, and ways to teach him, I guess that, or. Yeah, that's still something we're working on because it's one okay. of the hardest thing to teach, but uh, it's definitely, yeah. it's so hard to teach them, you know, it's called a pika. Yeah. Yeah. Pika. Uh-huh. Or pika. I'm not sure how you say it, if it's pika or pika, but yes. I'm totally aware. We had Skylar tested for that early on. I was praying that that would not be a result that he was diagnosed with as well, because I cannot imagine that is a challenge. 
Yeah, no, it's terrible. Anything like Chai will eat like dirt, rocks, anything he sees. So I mean, you know, as a mom, I make I do my best to like watch Charlie, but there is going to be a time where he gets a hold of something that that is not eat, eatable and he's gonna eat it, you know. And it's it's really hard to to deal with. So was he diagnosed with pica? No, we're guessing it it is what it is just because you know mm -hmm. things in his mouth all the time but he's not like yeah. formally diagnosed with it yeah i mean skylar's the same way as far as outdoors like he's always had a fascination with mulch and he doesn't eat it he just always grabs a handful of it and it's almost like he can't walk away from it so when we go to playgrounds or things and there's mulch on the ground he grabs a handful of it and he just kind of gets a little piece of a wood chip in his mouth and he just kind of chews on it, but he mm. never swallows any of it. And then as soon as I take that away, a second later, he's reaching right down for another handful and he just won't stop. I can't take him anywhere there's mulch because he just is relentless. And he's the same with grass. He likes to grab handfuls of grass and do the same thing. So oh, yeah. his ABA center kind of knows like when they take him outside, just to keep an eye on him, but. Start for grass. Yeah. I mean, I guess my, my feeling is like, I mean, so he eats some grass. <laughs> I just don't think that's going to kill him. And I, if that's the worst that he does, I'm like, I'm okay with it. And I told them that I'm like, it's okay. Cause they tell me when I pick him up, like he ate a little bit of grass today or got some grass. So I'm like, that's it. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, should I be more concerned? Maybe I should. I don't know. But yeah. that's, that's the worst of it. I'm not, not too worried about it. Um, well, I guess moving on to something a little happier, what, what are the things that make Charlie happy and smile? Your pictures of him, he just ha always has such a wide-eyed, smiley face. He's just a beautiful boy. And I just kind of wondered what he enjoys doing that make him so happy and... Steaming. <laughs> it's uh, his favorite thing to do is... Really? Sand, rocks. So he takes things between his, his fingers and he makes them drop in front of his eyes whether it's like a 50 markers or 50 rocks sands he just needs to feel things in between his finger and huh. then drop them in front of his eyes i think it's a sensory thing and that makes him so happy um <laughs> it's so, so sweet so as, as long as there is yeah something like this for him to play with even like cards yeah well it can get pretty frustrating because he'll do it with anything. And sometimes, well, it's not things he can do that with, but that makes mm -hmm. him happy. Um, running, you know, freely. He likes that too. And uh, slinkies. He loves slinkies. Huh. Sam, I think it's a visual thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Just, he, just, he just likes watching them just downstairs or like going downstairs or just anywhere. No, Sam, he just you know, takes the slinky in his hand and mm -hmm. go up and down and just stares at it, <laughs> at it with his eyes. Yeah, he doesn't really play with toys, you know, right. appropriately or how do you say? Um, yep. Functional play. Yeah, you go. Uh, not much functional play, but, you know, he has his own ways of uh, playing with toys that makes him very happy. Well, that's so nice. And so, I mean, is he a willing participant in the photography? Is he, does he yeah. sit still? Or, I mean, a lot of your photos seem to be kind of um, action shots and some themed pictures and stuff. But um, I didn't know how you, I mean, that is a struggle for us and a, probably a lot of families is how to take pictures 
of your child with autism because they never usually sit still. It's never worked for us to have a photographer who, um, you know, says his name repeatedly, snaps, snaps their fingers. I'm like, really? He's not going to look at you. So we, all of our family pictures have always just been action shots. We're just walking or, you know, he might pick up a leaf and put it in his mouth. I'm like, just take pictures of everything and anything and we'll get some good ones, hopefully, you know, in there. Um, so have you had other experiences with, with other families or just with your own, as far as photography with, with Charlie and not with uh, families who have uh, autistic uh, children, but uh, so in ABA, so Charlie elops, elops. Okay. He, he runs away. So his ABA center is working on a weight uh, program. So they have uh, anything on the, on the ground, like a piece of tissue or a little cross um, with markers, anything, and you can tell him weight. And now he can do it for like 20, 20 seconds okay. uh, time. So I can use that for photography too. Um, at least he stays in the same spot. Then he's often, he's going to like start flapping his hands. So that might get a little blurry, um, but he will at least stay in the same spot. If you put a mark on the, on the floor, on the ground um, for him to stay. So that, that works pretty well for us. And uh, you know, it's a very useful skill to have for a safety reason too. Ah. So something I really like that he's learned in ABA therapy. And uh, also he understands first picture, then candy. So I sometimes drive. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's good. <laughs> yeah. I wish I had something to bribe Skylar with, but I don't. He doesn't like candy. He doesn't like toys. Oh. Nothing. <laughs> it definitely makes it more challenging. Yeah, it's hard. Um. And I, I definitely want to mention to your book. So um, remind me the title of the book that you wrote. It's All Across the Spectrum. And when is that available on Amazon or anywhere? Yeah, it's, so it's uh, on Amazon and through my publisher at Thought Catalog. But um, yeah, if you type in All Across the Spectrum, you should find it. And it's a book with uh, my writing and my photography too. Um, I talk about my autism journey and also Charlie a lot, you know, um, both ends of the spectrum, which is my life. And, you know, I think it gives me a unique perspective on the subject. So that's uh, what it is about. And really my goal when I wrote the book was to, uh, to make people feel uh, less alone. And, you know, what we talked about earlier, sharing some struggles, and uh, explaining to, to people that even when we're sad about our child, that child's diagnosis, you know, it doesn't mean that we don't, we don't love them. And I just really love for people to, uh, to understand that. And yeah. I love that. I think it's a beautiful message. Um, and and I, I did download your book and I cannot wait to, to read it. Um, mm -hmm. I couldn't agree with you more. And I, I, I know that every parent listening that has a child on the spectrum loves their children. I just would hope that we could all, you know, not judge one another and, and um, kind of put conditions and measurements on how much each other loves their children um, just by what we see on social media and other things. Um, because we all need to stick together so that people that don't 
have any firsthand knowledge of this diagnosis and living with someone on the spectrum so that they don't judge us too. We need to all come together and be a stronger voice. Yep. You know, I just feel like it's a responsibility too that I have and a lot of other moms and dads with children that are in their teenage years and into adulthood to try to continue to pave the way and, and find resources for the little ones that are coming up behind our kids. So that was kind of my goal with doing all of this. And, um, and your book is very helpful. It's definitely a resource I can share with people who don't understand what it's like to have autism in your family. So um, thank you for writing it and, and for putting your beautiful pictures in it too. <laughs> yeah. Well, is there anything that you would um, share with not, I always not to say advice because that's, that's hard. Um, but just any feedback that you would give any parents just getting the diagnosis for their children at this point, things that maybe you and your husband would have done differently, or, um, you know, that you would tell yourself if you had it to do over again, just to be kinder to myself, you know, because again, there's so much judgment, even I think a lot of the time, family and friends, are going to have a hard time understanding that a child has just been diagnosed with autism unless they are familiar with it themselves. Um, and it was really important for me to, uh, to be kind to myself during the process and to allow myself to feel, you know, negative emotions um, without feeling guilty for it. And it took me a, a very long time to, uh, to be okay with uh, feeling sad about the, the diagnosis. And that's really why uh, I, I wanna share more about these feelings online now. So parents feel less alone. So to parents who have a child who has just been diagnosed, it's okay to feel sad. We know you love your child. Mm -hmm. And you should be kinder to yourself. I love that. That's a great, great, great message. We feel guilty for every emotion that we have, and it's not fair. It's not fair to our kids. It's not fair to us. We're human. So I love that. Thank you so much for everything that you shared, um, all the personal uh, stories, and for being on the podcast. It means a lot to me that you took the time out of your day to do it. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. All right. We'll take care, and uh, I'm going to start reading your book right away. <laughs> Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Living the Sky Life and will tune in for the next episode coming soon. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the Living the Sky Life podcast within Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play so you'll receive alerts when new episodes are released. Subscribing is the best way to ensure you don't miss a single episode. If you like what you hear, be sure to select the five-star rating, provide feedback, and share Living the Sky Life with others. Thanks again for listening.